welcome to the Wharton Fintech podcast. I am your host Tarang Gupta and our guest today is Archi Ravi Shankar, founder and CEO of Cogni. Cogni is a digital bank that provides easy access to web 2 and web 3 services. Prior to Cogni, Archi was investment director at Manor Estate Family Office, board member at GP Pacific Engineering and Construction, and director of partnerships and strategy at Kudupu Solutions. Archie is currently a Forbes Finance Council member, a board member of Howard Brain Sciences Foundation, and a board member of Center for Advanced Defense Studies. Join us as we discuss what sets Cogni apart from other banks, why Cogni decided to enter the Web3 space, how does a non-custodial crypto wallet work, the importance of sticking to one's core values in business, and one innovator that Archie admires. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Archie. Good morning. Hey, Tarang. How's it going? Awesome. So let's dive right in. For our listeners who may not know, could you provide an overview of your career and how you got involved in fintech? Yeah, sure. Um, I was born in India. I grew up in Australia, did law and economics at university, um, then worked for a family office in Australia, uh, investing in tech and real estate for some time. I mean, when I was investing uh, you know, fintech was just really picking up. But growing up, I always felt that financial services did not really cater for Gen Z and millennials. So if you look at most banks, they cater for people who actually have a nine to five job. And they, then they start going into providing uh, financial products. Banks are all about underwriting risk if they can give you a loan or a mortgage uh, and provide you with wealth management support. But millennials and Gen Z didn't have a lot of money growing up, Right. They were trying to ration cash. They were trying to budget better. They were trying to spend on discretionary spend. And I went through the same process where I felt that, you know, financial services or financial platforms could actually serve consumers a lot better than the way they are serving uh, millennials and Gen Z right now. And, and that was my inspiration to actually build out a banking platform that really caters to millennials and Gen Z. So since you mentioned about Cogni, could you dive deeper into what are the different products and services that it offers? Yeah, so how we Cogni really started was, you know, we really felt that bank as a, a baseline before financial products could be, or lifestyle products could be built on top of it. So before the internet, uh, you had television. Television was a platform and product, service, and content were distributed through A-list celebrities. And then you had... Internet became the platform. I mean, during the internet age, uh, social media became the platform and product, service, and content were distributed through influencers. Our thesis is in the future, um, product, service, and content would be distributed through peer-to-peer and banking and payments would be the platform layer to support that. So to get into this whole social commerce, peer-to-peer distribution of product, service, and content, the baseline has to be banking because that's the top line funnel that people want to get into People would be wanting to uh, trust a platform that actually caters to that need is a little bit more innovative to suit their own individual requirements. So we started building the basic banking product where within three minutes, you would get a bank account. Um, you would have digital gift cards within the bank account. You can do ACHs. You could uh, we have 55,000 free ATMs. Everything that you could think of a basic bank would do. But the only difference is we made it a lot more cleaner. We made it a lot more user-friendly, and we use technology to uh, kind of compress all the expensive process that traditionally banks would do. 
And we added other features where one would be that we became the first digital bank that can actually track carbon emissions on every single transaction. So every time you go swipe your debit card, you would be able to see what the carbon emissions are with that particular transaction. Uh, we have single-use cards, so cards that disappear after single-use that you could use for subscriptions or for purchases where you think putting your card details is not uh, very safe. Um, so we built those functionalities. And then last year, we wanted to build out a Web3 ecosystem. So you know, an average consumer wanting to get into Web3, they find it exceptionally very hard to understand all these jargon, what's right and what's wrong. And, and what is safe and what's not. It's a wild west out there. So we said, how could we create a top-line funnel for banking, allowing the people to interoperate between Web2 and Web3? So we are a very strong believer that you know Web3 has a, a huge potential, but a lot of the investors' money have gone into arbitrage and using people's crypto for exchange purposes. Right, it's just trading purposes. We what we did was we went to work building a non-custodial wallet, which is going live next week. Um, when you do a KYC with Cogni, you get a bank account and a non-custodial wallet. The 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 important difference with a non-custodial wallet is the crypto assets that you have, the NFTs that you have, belong to you. You hold it in your wallet. It's not in a centralized exchange. That if exchanges go bust, they would they would go foof. Right. So, for example, um, recently there was an article that came out, said that about close to one point five million dollars worth of Coachella NFTs got stuck up in FTX. Because you're allowing an and centralized exchange to hold custody of your assets. And when those centralized exchanges are not that regulated, they have a high risk of, you know, going bust or taking your assets with them uh, when they become insolvent. Incogni. We are we're launching our non-custodial wallet attached to your bank account because those assets remain with you all the time. No one can touch them but you. So when you do a KYC, you get a bank account and a non-custodial wallet, which allows for easy interoperability between your Web2 services and the Web3 services, and the assets belong to you and nobody can touch it. So these are the functionalities that um, you know we are very excited about launching next week uh, in addition to the banking that's already live. And we're also working on a new interface that really bridges at Web2 and Web3 ecosystems as well. So in recent years, it's been, there has been an increase in uh, mobile banking platforms and other digital banks. Even like a lot of the incumbent players in banking have launched their own platforms for digital banking. How is Cogni different from these players and what, what is your USP for the users? The baseline for digital banking is all the same. It has to do all the functionalities of what a bank should do. All right, give you a checking account, giving you a good personal financial tool, uh, et cetera. But then where Cogni starts deviating is how we build our architecture and engineering to support the lifestyle needs of the consumer. What are the lifestyle needs of the consumer? Right. The first thing is that assuming that all the table stakes with all the digital banks are the same, where we start deviating is now we can, as I said, we can track carbon emissions on every single transaction. Now you might ask, how is that relevant? This is a relevant relevancy for millennials and Gen Z because they're very uh, uh, consistently focused on, you know, environmental damage. They're consistently focused on carbon emissions. So this gives consumers an, an extra layer of data to support their spend, right, and where they're spending. Then we bought in digital gift cards. So we have about, you know, close to about 800 brands that where you can get a digital gift card from within your bank and move it into your Apple wallet, etc. 
which allows, and you can also transfer the digital gift cards to uh, uh, your friend who doesn't even have Cogni as well. You get up to 15 to 22% discount uh, on all of these digital gift cards. Now that's very unique. And now where we have really set the trend right now is the non-custodial wallet. We are the first digital bank in America to launch a non-custodial wallet within a bank account. Now you might say, hey, how is that different? But if you look at other digital banks who are offering crypto services, right? You're buying an ETH or you're buying a Bitcoin. Guess what? You don't own that ETH. You don't own that Bitcoin. They do. You only see the price manipulation because you're only like swapping assets. But you can't really use your ETH. You can't really use your Solana. You don't have any utility value on any of those stuff. And it can't hold NFTs. Cogni is the first digital bank in America when our wallet goes live next week that you would be able to do all of this. Right? You would be able to own your assets, you would be able to own your NFTs, you would be able to use Web3 blockchain services in your everyday life. If you want to go into an event, you would be able to wallet connect with your asset and get access to those things. No other digital bank is doing that. So now you can see how we have differentiated ourselves in going into Web3 and making it much more as an integral part of our ecosystem. But the table stakes of every banking is reasonably the same. And, and uh, hopefully we, we keep innovating more on that to make sure that the user experience is a lot better. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the categorization is a lot more relevant. Uh, I mean, we are launching in, in three weeks. We are also launching a credit score monitoring system. But these are all table stakes. Right? Some people have it. Some people don't have it. Some people are building it. Some people have it in the roadmap. And this is continuously going to evolve. But what really separates us is that you are able to have the Web3 component and be really focusing on the interoperability between your Web2 and your Web3 within a single ecosystem is a lot more compliant fashion. Cogni is also part of the Barclays Accelerator program. According to you, what value did it add for Cogni? And do you believe that incubators and accelerators have an important role to play in entrepreneurship? Um, see, the thing is, everybody goes to an accelerator because they want to get something out of it. And that is different for every company, right? Um, when I moved to the US, I wanted to get to know uh, the ecosystem very well, the FinTech ecosystem. I wanted to know the regulators. I wanted to know people with domain knowledge who can support in establishing a financial product. So on that note, it helped me. There are some people who went and said, yay, I wanted to go raise capital. I wanted to sell to Barclays. Some of them didn't pan out the way they expected it to be panned out, right? So it depends on what your goal is and whether those accelerator make sense because it is not a one-size-fits-all solution, right? It is uh, catered to unique needs. And did it help me? I think so, yes. And as an entrepreneur, what are some challenges about starting a venture that you found more or less challenging than you expected? At Cogni? Oh, every day is a challenge. So many war stories. Um, the most important thing is don't die, <laughs> right? People think, oh, if the thing is the thing with market economics and, and market dynamics is that as long as you are persistent, you believe in your idea, right? Sometimes people talk about the right opportunity, the right opportunity and the right macroeconomic might come. The only thing is you shouldn't give up really early and you have to keep iterating and sustain yourself with the least amount of cash and being resourceful as you go through the process. Because there's gonna be so many naysayers telling you, hey, um, I think you got to call it quits. Hey, this is not going to work out. Hey, that's not good. Macroeconomics isn't, isn't right for this time. But what happens is the macroeconomics is not consistent the whole time. It changes. It, it's very dynamic in nature, right? And, and, you know, when COVID hit, nobody knew. And 
companies like really scaled a lot. COVID went down, those companies went down with it, right? Centralized exchanges were, were a massive thing just last year. And because it was so easy for consumers, they didn't want to hold the crypto. They wanted somebody else to hold the crypto. They just want to see those numbers go up and down and they got a margin. They're happy. Now the market dynamics have changed that you can't really allow for your assets to be held by a centralized exchange where you would lose all your money. So the dynamics consistently change, but if you stay true to what your business model is, if you straight, I mean, stay true to what your thesis is, the market dynamics will change to support your needs. And that's my belief. And it's, it's kind of like stood in good stead with Cogni. You know, we always wanted to build a social commerce component on top of Cogni. We have seen all the crazy cycles that went up and down. The only thing that we did was last year when we said we see a lot of opportunity in the Web3, and obviously, we should build our product functionality in the Web3. But to do that, the wallet is the most important component to it. That is the biggest pivot that we ever made. So for me, those challenges exist. COVID, you know, crypto companies failing, the cycles of crypto up and down. But the basic thesis of millennials and Gen Z and what they want does not change. And, and using the technology to create much more easier interfaces, interoperability, are the things that we focused on to stay a little bit more true to what our vision and our goal is. Sort of building onto that, uh, you raised funding last year. What was that process like when you went down into the market? Was it like traditional story of are you pitching to multiple investors and hearing no before the first one said yes? Or in your case, the product, you, your experience was different in the sense that given it was a hot space at that point in time, you found it slightly easier to raise funding. See, during COVID, it was a really tough time. Uh, a lot of my colleagues uh, lost their visas as well because they couldn't come back to the United States and and they had to leave. And, you know, the leadership team took like 30 to 40 percent pay cut during that time. And we made sure that we never let anybody go because it was very important at that time that nobody knew what was happening. And the last thing that you wanted to do was let your customer service team go. And we did not do that. We did not want to do that. So we took a haircut and we stayed alive. Uh, some of our investors, we were we went live actually during COVID and we were running out of cash so fast. And so what we did was we took certain measures to, you know, reduce the burn, go back to bill. I took a pay cut for a year and a half. Uh, I put my own residual cash that I had into the business. Um, and, and when the market slightly turned and as we kind of like started building out some other functionalities and we felt Web3 was the right way to go, um, and we said, okay, who are the biggest um, uh, Web3 investors who could add value to us? And we took some of their investments. Uh, some of them are suffering right now, but that's how the market dynamics are. And then, and then we started building, but we still stayed very true core to what we wanted to build. Um, let me give an example here, right? FTX invested in us. FTX told us that, hey, you need to use our wallet. You need to use a centralized exchange. Uh, that FTX provided. We did not listen to them. We said no. We said to them, we do not believe in centralized exchanges because that is not the true spirit of Web3. Because the whole thing with uh, having your assets, you should be able to hold your assets. That's the whole thesis of on the blockchain. So we believe on the blockchain more than centralized exchanges, which were taking consumers deposits and arbitraging it for cash and high-risk investments and lending. So we refused Doing that, so we still none of the investors ever ever able to tell us what what we should do. We felt true to what our core thesis is, what our core belief is. So we went 
even though we took the money, we said we are going to build our own non-custodial wallet. We are not going to take FTX's wallet. We are not going to plug into their exchange. We made those critical decisions, even though we took the money to stay true to our thesis. If we had done the other way around, our consumers could have lost a lot of crypto. Right now, we are in a state where we can put our hands to our heart and say, at Cogni, when you own your crypto, you own it. Coinbase doesn't own it. Gemini doesn't own it. FTX doesn't own it. Celestius doesn't own it. You own it. You decide what to do with it. So that's how we've been uh, building our platform. And we took, we raised some money. It was tough. Um, it wasn't, fundraising is never easy, right? And at the same time, your team was built on Web2 and now they're adding Web3 people to that as well. So there's a combination of, you know, you know, there's a cultural, I would say, uh, technology differences between Web3 and Web2 engineers and how they do things, the process, the compliance. So that itself was a challenge. So for me, as a single founder, trying to triage all that was a challenge by itself. But hey, end of the day, we're here. Uh, we're excited to launch the product and see where this market takes us. And we see that the market um, macroeconomics is really favoring some of the products that they are launching. And it's all about now educating us to, to the consumers. So well, there's a big promise, but let's stay true core to the technology and not get distracted by, hey, ETH is going up by, you know, a few few points and 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 bitcoins down but it's all great for it sounds like gambling right but let's stay cool to go to the technology and the use case of the technology you bring up an interesting point about the layoffs right and you showed i think a lot of character as a leader by making sure that none of the team is laid off and i know this is going a little off speed but what is your take on the recent tech layoffs do you believe there's a better way to handle such situations or is laying people off the only way out I said, right, every company is different. Every founder is different. Everybody perceives that in a different way. You know, people, you know, things go great. People all support you. Things go bad. You made wrong decisions, right? So it's always very lonely at the top for a founder. And 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 every founder has his own fears and beliefs and, and insecurities that they have to deal with, right? That includes firing people. Uh, that includes hiring people. That includes being passionate. Uh, passionate comes with going being considerate. Sorry. So there's so many things that play into the decisions that the founder makes, right? And so for me, as a founder, it's it's be very. It'll not be right for me to comment on what other people have done the decision, right? So I don't know their business needs. I know I don't know what their um, goals for the business are for the one year, right? So. On that note, layoffs are always bad, right? And as I said, the market dynamics change. Sometimes everybody wants engineers. Sometimes all the engineers are just flooding the market. And one thing that I would really suggest or recommend is that, which is something that I'm implementing in my business, you just don't have to do one thing. You can do three things in office. You could do one thing as a core, but try to do two, three things and make sure that you're valuable to the business. So when you're valuable to the business, you know you won't get laid off. Right. And and so that is the kind of a process that I would like to adopt. Right. Sometimes it might overwork your people, uh, but that path is is better. But there is no there is no right or wrong, or wrong answer in this. Right. At the stage that I'm in right now, you know, we are hiring. But at the same time, we tend to make sure that some of our existing uh, colleagues of mine handle like multiple jobs. They're multifunctional. Right. It's still a very small team. So that way, if you are able to do multifunctional stuff and still focus on your core stuff, 
I think when you add value to the business, you would stay in a job, right? And you uh, to <laughs> create value. I'm glad you brought up the topic of hiring. And you mentioned you're currently hiring. But what is that you look for in potential colleagues? So, so we have engineering team that hires for engineering. We have product team that hires for product. For me, a few things that are very important is loyalty to team and to your colleagues because the market changes up and down. Today, you'll have cash. Tomorrow, you have to restrict. You have to go down. You have to, you're not going to face a lot of challenges. And having a right leadership team, at least the people that report to me, uh, wanting to make sure that they're highly transparent, highly open, highly loyal to the core ethics of the business. Uh, those are very important to me. Uh, and able to multitask and, 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 and multi-interoperate uh, between different uh, ecosystems, from engineering to product to compliance to uh, ops, uh, having a, bright, a broad framework of interoperability to provide much more important feedback that allows me to run a business. Uh, is what I look for for the people I directly hire. Obviously, if you're going to go into engineering, you know they have their own engineering hiring process. The product has its own product hiring uh, process. The compliance has its own process, and that is that is decided by the team leads, my compliance head, my engineering head, and my product head. So they decide on those process on on hiring. Uh, but the people that are, that directly report to me that there are certain things that I hold very dear, which is able to not only be good at what you do, but also interoperate with other parts of the business to add value to me as a CEO. Switching over to the industry overall, you mentioned that you decided that Web3 is the right way to go for Cogni. What are some trends in Web3 that you think will become integral to the fintech industry overall? Maybe the strongest use cases for this technology? So I think the gateway into the whole Web3 is a wallet. I think you have the wallet. It's like a checking account. If you have someone's checking account, Direct deposits, the lifetime value of the consumer goes significantly high. So if you have owned somebody's wallet share or somebody's having that ecosystem in your wallet, you would be able to, uh, the LTV goes significantly high. Now, how do we make this wallet very attractive, right? This wallet, even though it's provided by Cogni, you own the assets in the wallet. Now, that is very unique, right? The second thing um, is that, especially with Web3, is identity, right? Um, when you go into metaverse or things like that, identity is going to play a very, very important role. So as a financial institution, we are creating our own identity passport solution that allows you to interoperate between Web 2 and Web 3. So people do not have to do KYC again. Uh, other use cases that I see would be land titles. You know, land titles in America, is a, especially in New York, is hundreds of billions of dollars. And the problem with land titles is there's so much land title fraud that happens on identity theft and land title insurance and things like that. Now, if you could put those land titles on a blockchain and if those things could rest in your wallet for authenticate, you could save a lot of money. So I'm looking at mostly all the utility use cases from the Web3 ecosystem, paring aside all the arbitrage on the exchange side, right? Let's forget the exchange and the money making and the quick accelerating gambling part of the Web3. Let's talk about the real use case of having your identity by yourself, having your data ownership, having, you know, having your assets that is owned by you in your wallet that you could touch and you could interoperate with your existing life. So those are the core thesis that we are very excited about. Are there areas in fintech that you are bearish on or you feel are kind of overhyped? Since this exchange component came in of like, you know, whether um 
uh, I mean, Robinhood did a phenomenal job and so did some of these um, exchanges that allowed for an average consumer without having to break a sweat, have crypto and, and arbitrage and stake and do all these things because it just sounded really quick, so easy to make some money. Um, but there's been time and time kind of like through this year that this that ecosystem is very unregulated. The whole thing of blockchain is you owning your crypto. So when you have when you have a non-custodial wallet, right, as a platform, there is not much money to be made for us. But if you're a centralized exchange, you can actually market make by having the crypto by themselves, right? So I'm a little bit bearish on that industry because, you know, if things start getting easier for consumers to hold their own assets uh, and then they can trade the way they want to trade it, I think the industry would be forced to really innovate beyond this arbitrage and exchange Thing. Well, I'm not saying that 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 um, that is not important. That is important, but I think that we have put a lot of capital and a lot of attention behind. Hey, crypto is going up and down. You know, ETH is going up and down. We focus a lot on that, but less more on the innovation of the blockchain itself. I think we should start really celebrating those. Like, hey, your identity is now owned by you. You're uh, you're now able to. Um, you know, uh, have your own assets in your own wallet that nobody else else has it. So we got to celebrate that technology and that use case uh, more than, you know, talking about Bitcoin going up and down every single day. Switching over to the last segment of the interview, what I like to do is introduce you more as a person to our listeners. And for that, I have some rapid fire questions ready for you. The first one is, what is a fun fact about you that most people don't know? My fun fact about me is, um, <laughs> God, um, I like horses. Um, I like country music. A lot of my friends be like, you like country music? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I like country music. I like country music a lot. Uh, that's, that's one thing uh, people don't know about me. And I love horses. Um, yeah. Who is an entrepreneur you admire and why? I admire people who look at things a lot more differently. And uh, people I really admire are people like, you know, Steve Jobs and, and Elon Musk. Um, forget the part of anything that is their leadership style or how they do things, right? But what I really admire from them is how can you create efficiency in an, in an inefficient ecosystem? Now, that takes a lot of character and you got to believe in it to make all those things is going to fall into place. Now, that is what you have to truly cherish, right? Uh, forget about, you know, Elon firing people or hiring people or saying some things, but the core of what Elon has done is, you know, he has taken, um, he's built SpaceX uh, out of nothing. He, we know NASA was spending billions of dollars every year. This, it's ineff- he saw inefficiency with NASA and he made it a lot more cheaper to launch uh, satellites into space. So he, he, he created efficiency in a market that was old, tired, and got used to the way things were done, right? And, and that are the kind of people that I really admire, right, uh, as an entrepreneur than anything else. So there's your answer. What's your favorite fintech app? My favorite fintech app is Cogni because <laughs> my team builds it. Uh, I use it. I love it. Uh, and because I love it so much, I, I want to keep making it better. 
And so is my team wanting to make it better than what it was yesterday. And we are continuously trading uh, on that fact because we use that the most. And hence. Assume you have a time machine. If you could go back, let's say 20 years, 15 years, is there anything about your journey you would do differently? A lot of things, you know. Um, when you're first starting up, like every entrepreneur, you make mistakes, right? You have those war stories. And if I had a time machine to go back, I would have known how much uh, vendor costs did I've been, right? How could I have negotiated my vendor contracts differently? How could I have hired this person differently? Where could I have put my cash differently? Uh, probably if I had more insights on how the market dynamics are going to change and I would have pushed my company a lot better. So, yeah, I know it doesn't, it doesn't uh, give you an right answer. I'm just being very pragmatic about it. But uh, yeah, I would have changed a lot of my vendor contracts to suit our benefit. Reworked on my financials better and, and probably uh, committed less expensive mistakes. What does success look like for you and for Cogni? So, you know, People sometimes ask me, hey, what is your vision for Cogni, right? What do you want Cogni to be? I think that there is an opportunity for Cogni to play a role in potentially, you know, the end goal would be that, hey, can we be a super app in America? Now, super app is an end product. But to become a super app, you have to really solve the interoperable nature, which is what we really focused on. If you solve the interoperability nature between Web 2 and Web 3, ecosystem could be built on it and you eventually become a super app. So instead of focusing on, we want to be a super app, let's really solve the interoperable problem that we have at hand. So for me, that would be the end goal. If you solve the interoperable problem and create an uh, ecosystem by which apps could plug uh, on top of the wallet, uh, and then I think that would be a biggest win case for us. On that note, I'll let you get back to work to make Cogni better. Thanks, man. But thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Shirak. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the What in Fintech podcast. If you like the show, then please show us some love on social media or consider leaving a review. It means a lot to us and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. As always, special thanks to our editor, Rafael Osteria. Signing off until next time, I'm your host, Tarang Gupta. <laughs>